out again, uh, Philippians chapter number 3, and uh, we'll read the Scriptures. Verse number 10 says, That I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We saw number one this morning, we must forget our life before we're saved. Uh, but there are still some things that God wants us to remember. And I gave that illustration about Moses quickly for a recap. I, I, I brought up how God saves us from our sin, our affliction, our Egypt, and our sorrows. And God saves us for deliverance, sanctification, uh, a more abundant life, and for heaven. Um, and that's, uh, I don't even think I even made it that far, to be honest with you. That was sub-point A. Of point number one. Sub so point B, I want you to know that God does not want us to do the things that we used to do before we were saved. Why? Because Second Corinthians chapter five, verse seventeen says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Your Bible says creature, not creation, because a creature is alive. A creation is not. Uh, Ephesians 2 says this, And you hath he quickened. To define that word means to be brought alive. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedient. In time past, before you were saved, there was only one course, and that was damnation. And that was brought about because of the prince of the power of the air. Uh, you talk about spiritual warfare. I remember, the, I remember the old preacher. The old preacher used to talk about the devil being in the frequency or being in the radio. He was the power of the air. He was a, he was, I remember the old preacher talking about that. And the more I, I got to thinking about it, he was right. Because uh, I, I'm sure you may have uh, had a TV like this. Ours had little rabbit ears. Amen. And, and we had aluminum foil. And you got to turn it this way and that way. And, and I was the TV remote. And so were you. Amen. Amen. But it came in through the air. And Hollywood showed up in your home through a television set and through the airwaves. I remember the old preacher. You heard the old preacher talk about it. Amen. And, and, and he was right because that is one way that the devil can infiltrate your home and infiltrate your mind. He comes in through the air. 
He's the, the, the devil, the prince of the power of the air is the devil and his crowd. And that spirit that he has is the spirit of disobedience that he works in his children. If if you're if you're not saved, you're a part of the children of wrath. You're you're going to have the wrath of God judged uh, poured out on you. Uh, amen. I, I I saw some of y'all like, like that message I put on Facebook where uh, preacher Eddie down in Georgia uh, preached a message entitled "Who's Your Daddy?" and and he preached. He was one of them slow South Georgia preachers. Almost sound like a mountain preacher. And he got me hooked in. My, my pastor was there. Pastor Goodman was there. I mean, we had a good old time just watching it. From, I got some help sitting there in my living room, me and Miss Taylor. And I got to thinking, I'm so glad that God is my daddy and, and I'm not saved and the devil's no longer my daddy. And so it goes on to say in verse 3, Among whom also we all had conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We was born in disobedience. We was born in sin. And we were born dead inside. But God hath quickened us who were dead in trespasses and sin. He's brought us alive. A creature is alive. The Bible says you're a new creature in Christ. He has brought you and made you alive in Him. Not a creation. Point number two. God wants us to forget past failures. Now I remember growing up, my coach would always remind me if I lost a wrestling match... Boy, he'd get in my face and he'd ridicule me and he'll say, Waters, let me tell you what you did wrong. And he'll make me feel this small. And I understand he was trying to motivate me so it wouldn't happen again. I get it. But the Lord doesn't work that way. Amen. Amen. The Lord does not work that way. And I can even go back in my mind today and I can hear his, his words ring. Yes, I ended up doing well in wrestling. And yes, that's all fine and well. But guess what that life of wrestling got me? Absolutely nothing. Amen. Amen. When it comes to spiritual things, God does want us to forget our past failures. Because our failures, when we look back, they will weaken and they will rob your confidence. And there's nothing that the devil loves more than to, for you to be knocked off kilter, for you to lose your confidence, for something not to go your way, and for you to start struggling and say, well, well, well what about this and what about that? And those flashbacks come back in your mind and they trigger some things and all of a sudden you're back in that pity party just like I can have, amen, just like you can have, amen. It goes right there. Like we all can have tonight. We can go back and we can have those pity parties. Just like that preacher I mentioned earlier today. I don't know his deal. I don't know what's going on in his life. But I know that most of the time before a preacher decides to uncommit himself to the ministry, he feels like a failure. And the devil has gotten a hold of his mind. And there's so many Christians that quit on God. And, and what does that prove? 
That you couldn't handle the pressure? The pressure of being saved? The pressure of having a new name? Of having a new identity? You couldn't handle that? Or was it the fact that you let the devil come into your mind? As you focused on past failures. Like we sung this morning, it's under the blood. The enemy will come by your way. He'll set up camp outside your doorstep. And whenever all of hell is breaking loose in your life and, and the enemy's knocking on the door, trying to pound in and tell you how awful you are, whenever you finally get to that place inside of your place of rest, inside of your spiritual closet, and you say, God, I don't care what that enemy's trying to do. I don't care what he's going to say. God, I need you to handle it. And by the time you open up that door, the, the, you've noticed that the enemy's gone. The knocking has stopped. And you are now back and in, in, in walking in the confidence that God has called you to walk in. He's called us to be bold believers. He's called us to be confident, not so much in ourselves, but in God. There's a lot of preachers today. They are confident in in their ability. Uh, they're, they're confident in what they can do. But I've also seen the same type of preacher be confident in their ability and not even have the touch of God on them because it's all about them. It's not about self-confidence tonight. It's about having confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and just reminding yourself that you do not need to dwell on your past. It was there to serve you as a reminder of, of things that are less Lessons learned. There, there's not mistakes per se. There's lessons learned. There's remorse for your actions. And these failures are valleys. And the Lord wants us to have mountaintop experiences. And this is not, this is not the, the new age gospel preaching. This is the truth. Jesus said that I come that you may have life and life more abundantly. God wants you to have more mountaintop experiences than you did before you got saved. Amen. You're going to have valley experiences, but He wants you to have less of them. Number three tonight, if you want to live a happy and successful life, you've got to be willing to be obedient to the Lord. And he wants you to forget about your past differences. I mean, I mean, if you're crucified daily in Christ, we will be dead to sin. Daily. We, we crucify our hands, our minds, our ears, our eyes, our mouth, our feet. When we crucify ourselves daily and we give it over to the Lord, that is a really good chance you're going to have a good day. Hey, hey, you might have a bad moment or two in that day. Amen. But you're going to have a good day because you are now living a successful life. I mean, I mean, the things that you used to do, you're not going to do anymore. I mean, there, there can be no soul winning. No soul winning with a bitter or envious heart. And, and I know people today, I was just talking uh, this past Friday night. I was, uh, I was in a room with uh, five preachers and we was uh, praising God and, and we were shouting the victory and we were conversating. And I told one man, I said, you know, I said, I met a gentleman this week who could quote the scriptures about as good as I could, probably even better. But he lives like a lost man. He's a double-minded man. 
The book of James says that he's unstable in all of his ways. Well, I got to talking to this gentleman. I said, sir, you, you, you know the Scriptures well, but you also know a bunch of F-bombs in between all that. Yeah, I know, Pastor. Tell me, why are you this way? He opens up for half an hour and tells me about the bitterness that he had in church. This man used to pastor a church many years ago. What happened is he had some really mean church members get mad at him, get mad at his wife in a, in a, in a church business meeting of all things, and it ruined it for him. He's done. He threw in the towel in ministry and said, Phooey, y'all can burn. Quite literally, he said a lot of wordy dirts. He opened up his heart to me. And I said this. I said, brother, can I give you some advice and shoot you straight? He said, please. I said, you are never called to the ministry. Because any man that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Told him. I said, but you are fit to be a Christian. Stop looking at the people that burnt you. Stop looking at the people that crucified you. And look unto that crucified Christ who you say you have a relationship with. Get back in church. Fall on your knees. And ask God to help you with this root of bitterness. Then he starts to tell me how he used to be on fire for the Lord. How he used to preach and didn't care. He'd go down to Mardi Gras. And it's a good thing if you don't know what they do down yonder. But he'd go down there to Mardi Gras. Guess what he's doing? He's preaching and handing out gospel tracts, having beer thrown at him. And everything else in between. Arrested for preaching the gospel. Mm. In America. Bold preacher. He ain't doing it now. He's sidelined. Why? What happened? He let bitterness swell up in his life. He done something even I wouldn't do in my right mind. Pray God give me a double portion to give me that kind of boldness. Bold man of God. What happened? He's not living the most successful life. He, he, he let his past determine his future. He, he, let, he let the bitterness... And the enviness of heart swell up. And it grieves the Holy Spirit in his life. He shared more and I won't share the rest, but I just want to make that point. Child of God, it can happen to us anytime. Uh, I don't know about you, but now and then I'll have flashbacks where people have done me wrong, Christians done me wrong, church folk done me wrong, deacons done me wrong, deacons' wives done me wrong, pastors done me wrong. I got a list, write a book. It'll do absolutely no good for the edification of the church. Because that is the number one problem that I hear from the sinners that want to talk about the scriptures. All they don't, that they do not like the church. Now, this is their perception of the church. Lost people. I'm sick and tired of it always being about them. They never do anything for anybody else. It's all about come to my church. We have greeters in our parking lot. We got a coffee shop in our parking lot. Come as you are, leave as you were. Even the lost man don't want it. They're sick of it. They want something real. They're sick of it. 
The SBC has the audacity, the audacity to wonder why their numbers have been cut in half this past decade. You stop planting a bunch of liberal churches and start sticking with the real stuff and start supporting real Bible-believing churches that you already have, people show up. Hey, man, goes right there. Fail so. I had to get that one off my chest. I said what I said, I meant it. Don't mean to offend nobody, but I mean it. If we'd invest in little churches like this one, and we invest in little churches up the road, instead of trying to appease a crowd that won't come no how, we might get something done for the glory of God. I heard it this week. I'll tell you their first and last names after the service. Lost individuals. You won't know them, but they're local. They live right here in Conway. Lost folk. Amen. Grieves the Holy Spirit. And even, even the lost folks see the effect that it has on the church. We're not doing what we say we ought to do. Even the lost man knows what a church ought to do. Amen. We've lost our passion. When we live in the past, it's because according to Revelation, we've left our first love. We don't do the things that we once did when we first got saved. When I first got saved, I wouldn't shut up. I wouldn't. I was getting sent to the principal's office because I'm trying to preach in the classroom. I'm standing on top of my desk preaching. I kid you not. I had a few teachers that kind of let it slide. I was being disrespectful because it wasn't my time to preach, but I just had a, I had a burden. My methods were bad. I just, all I knew was I was called to preach. And they sat me down and coached a young man that just got, just got I had been saved a while, but just, just got into the ministry. And thank God I had a godly counselor, godly Christian woman named, named Denise. And I'd spend half the day in there with her. And we'd talk about the scriptures, talk about how good God is. And she was very diplomatic of how I can approach people. But if we're not doing what we're called to do, it's going to make us miserable. You know, one thing that I've learned for myself, here I, I'm, I'm going to get back to this message, I'm just preaching again, is that if I put something off and I know to do it right then and there, I feel bad. Delayed obedience is disobedience. That's why I'll pick up and make a phone call and ask for forgiveness when it's on my heart. Or if I feel like I've wronged somebody, I'll try to make it right. I can't sleep at night. It haunts me. The Spirit convicts me. And I've learned I need to go ahead and get it dealt with. And if we have that, that type of sensitivity to the Spirit, we can have that same, tying it back into the message, we can have that same effect in our walk when we look at our past failures. I've got a list two and a half miles long on my failures. I've got a list probably this long of my successes. But all my successes have been because of Him. Amen. Amen. Moving on. Point number four, to be really happy. 
We must forget our past victories. Mm. That's tough. That was tough for me to write down. Because you, you, come, uh, you come to my house, I got a placard on the wall from when I played football. It was called the Mr. Guts Award for varsity football. It used to be called something else that rhymes with guts, but they changed it so, I, so we could put it on our walls. And what it was, it was given out to a player that had some resilience to them, some tenacity that would bow up every time the, the opposition would show up, I'd bow up. And could you just imagine your preacher being five foot even, 120 pounds playing outside linebacker? If I don't hit you hard enough, take you down, I will, I'll let you drag me all the way down the field. And I have quite literally held on and made shoelace tackles. And I've held on with a finger or two. And I will drag you down by your ankle and take you down. That was me. I was scrappy-doo. Let me at him. And I remember that. Everybody just said, don't mess with Waters. He's a crazy man. He's an idiot. He will hit you. Uh, the boy on, on my team, he played fullback for us in defensive tackle. His name is Carlos Watkins. I play tailback. I love getting behind that big man. He is six foot four, two hundred or 320 pounds. We in the eye formation, baby. Go ahead, choo-choo. Here we go to the house. Amen. Uh, I mean, that, they give me that ball. Boom. He, rolls, he bulldogs everybody over. I mean, just we, we like Georgia football and Alabama football out here. And, I mean, I ain't a big boy. I'm just quick. You can't see me. Uh, praise God, he'll do a counter, go this way, and I'm that way, and everybody's chasing Carlos. Meanwhile, I'm 40 yards down this sideline, just <laughs> going as fast as I can. Amen. This boy went on to play for the Clemson Tigers. Then he went on to play for the Houston uh, Texans, and, and I don't know where he's at. He's in the NFL today. They don't remember little, little Josh Waters, but they do remember that big old boy plowing the way through. But I was the one that got that award. He just got the millions of dollars in the National Football League. Amen. But that's my piece. That's, that's my victory. That's what I got. And being a co-captain of the football team, being the head captain of the wrestling team, being the co-captain of the track and the baseball team, being in the newspaper every single week. We live in the glory days. Last year, Sandy Plain had a, had a softball tournament. And I got to joking about it because they had a whole salt church league softball league. And in the first night I get out there, I look at Taylor. I said, look at all of us high school has-beens. She was trying to show off for our wives. And, she, and it was fun. Don't get me wrong, it's fun until I pulled my hamstring. But anyways, you can't keep celebrating your past victories. I mean, I, I saw today, my memories popped up where I had uh, crossed over the stage at Slidell. Uh, class of 2020 had to wait till the pandemic was pretty much over. And then I finally went down there to, to, to walk across the stage with my doctorate of pastoral, uh, doctor of pastoral theology with honors as valedictorian. I can't spell valedictorian, but I was the valedictorian. Amen. But that don't amount to a hill of beans anymore. Because I'm not in seminary. I, I can I can tell you all these little bitty accomplishments that I have, but it means absolutely nothing here tonight. My point is this. 
I can sit here and tell you what I used to do. I can tell you about the thousands of preachers I preach or people I preached in front of. I can tell you about what I used to do, the Bible Institute I used to teach at, the big camp meetings where I've had thousands of people come in to hear me preach. I can tell you about all that. It means nothing. Because it's not today. And we can get hung up on what we used to do yesterday and get complacent on what we did yesterday and so we'll stop pursuing what God is trying to get us to do. There's an old saying, I know this ain't Scripture, but they always say the wolf climbing the hill is hungrier than the wolf already on top. If you ever think you've arrived, you have fallen, my friend. Because even the Scripture says... Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Brethren, I realize I have not made it. And this comes from the same guy that wrote a third of the Scriptures and he realizes he has not made it. It is not time for the award ceremony. There's still work to be done for God. So I'm here to tell you tonight, if you want to be successful, you must forget your past victories. I'm glad you got them, honey. I'm glad you got them, sir. But that was yesterday. And we don't need to be yesterday Christians. We need to focus on what God's doing today and what God's doing now and what God's going to do tomorrow. We'll never get there looking back. And I'm proud of my heritage. I'm all for heritage. But we can't live there. I ain't going to make it through this one either, but I'm going to try. Number five, to be successful. We need to set a goal in our lives for the Lord. Set a goal. Be a goal setter. Verse number 13 tells us to do this. In verse number 13, it quite literally says, reaching forth unto those things which are before. Set a goal. Uh, uh, For for me, I've got a goal every year. And and I'm almost at the point to where I'm going to make it a monthly goal. In my mind, I have it written it down. I've got different goals. I mean, uh, before I came in here, I just sent out a newsletter uh, to, to, to the Titus time people. Just to remind them, hey, we're still in this thing. I did a nice t- template on Canva, posted on Facebook, and I nearly fainted whenever I saw who shared the, the, the post. His name is Dr. John Hamlin. I don't know if you've heard of this man or not. He's kind of a big deal. He's like... Um, He's kind of like, I don't know, Billy Graham's status. Uh, he was, he's an editor for the Sword of the Lord. And I nearly fainted and fell over whenever he saw my post, liked it, and shared it. I told Taylor, I, I, I can't breathe. I'm, I'm starstruck right now. It's like Billy Graham sharing my post. Uh, he's getting the word out about Titus time. That's like Billy Graham saying, hey, Titus time is happening at, at university. And, and I said, my soul, it's happening. It's happening. Uh, it's, it's happening. The goal is happening. Because I don't know what it's going to look like this year, but I would not be surprised if three quarters of the church is full in the first year. And by year five, we're having to swing open them doors and bring it in chairs and to where we're having to, to show it on the monitor as people sit all the way back in the back. You don't think it can happen? I can show you pictures of a meeting I was in just a few months ago where they've done something very similar. Because the more the word gets out about something like this, the more exposure, the more people are going to want to be involved. I've got goals. I've got goals. You've got goals. But you should make a goal. Then pursue it. I don't care how big it is. You say, preacher, I'm old. Pursue your goals. Preacher, I'm young. Pursue your goals. Do what it is that God's told you to do. Whether it's teaching. 
Sunday school. Whether it's driving a van or a bus. Whether it's joining the choir. Whatever that looks like, the end result should glorify God. If you're not busy for God, you can't really have a goal. You just can't. I encourage you to pray daily for this goal. Number six tonight, strive to be like Christ. Verse 14 says, I press toward the mark. You know what sin is? I'm defining it. I'm not changing the word. Sin quite literally means we've missed the mark. There's a mark and we missed it. If you, if you said, okay, I'm going to have this flag. It's going to be seven foot in the air. I need you to touch it. I ain't going to touch it, honey. <laughs> and, and, and I'll tell you how bad my luck is. Even if I went and got a ladder, I'd probably fall off the ladder trying to touch it. Amen. But that's the mark. I, I can't get it. I can't miss in the mark. But the Bible tells us to press toward the mark. The only one that can bridge the gap of sin is Christ Himself. I press towards Christ. Amen. We press towards Christ in our walk. Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I say we ought to uh, press towards the mark in our appearance. First Thessalonians five twenty two says, "Abstain from the from all appearance of evil. Don't even look like evil. Don't even look like the world. Don't even talk like the world. Don't even dress like the world. Abstain from the appearance of evil." Now this applies more especially to myself. Probably more than anybody tonight. In our attitude. Your attitude can make you or break you. Oh yes. It's all about your attitude. I go back to coaches. Because I, I tell you I was a rebellious child. My coaches had their hands full. Waters. Get your mind right son. Well, I'm adjust that attitude. I don't know what it was like for you. But they. Come here boy. Right by the face mask. And I remember one time, I still, I mean, y'all still see me cracking my neck. Coach Caldwell got a hold of me. He called me something I'm not going to ever say again. And I called it to him right back, said he's twice as big a one. And I went to walk off. He reached, snatched my face, Mac, picked me up off the ground and slammed me on the ground. Stuck his knee right in my tummy when he rolled me over. And, st- and I mean, the spit just coming off me said, boy, don't you ever disrespect me like that. You better believe I didn't either. And I tell you what, I, fall, I will follow that man to the grave after that. He put me where I needed to be. He became one of my favorite coaches. Because I come back the next day, I said, Coach Caldwell, I got something to say to you. He said, say it, boy. I said, man, I'm so sorry. And I just started bawling. I said, I shouldn't have disrespected you. I knew you meant the best for me. And I started giving him every excuse under the sun. He looked at me and says, yeah. You are sorry, son, and walks off. Okay. Eventually, I had to prove myself to him. Don't let God give you an attitude adjustment. It hurts. And God will make you have to prove yourself to him. See if you're serious or not. 
But this attitude I talk about, it's not so much coming from that rebellious spirit. Because we're children of God. But this attitude that I'm talking about, to be like Christ, is to ask God to help us with our mind. Amen. Amen. The devil infiltrates the mind. I'm going to make it. Hallelujah. Last point tonight. You can do all these things, but you'll never be happy until you're saved. Verse 14 goes on to say, I press toward the mark mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's a high calling of God to be saved. If this is a call to true peace and joy. I mean, it's something that the world cannot offer you. I talk to men, grown men, every day. And they might all act all big and bad, and they might try to act tough, but I'm here to tell you, they are miserable. And they just don't... They, I don't have, they come in complaining about their wives. I'm like, well, I almost feel guilty. I'm like, well, wait, I got a good wife. I mean, I do. I know I get on her nerves and she wants to put me in a chokehold you know, every now and then, but I've got a good wife. All my children, you know, I'm like, I've got good children. I almost feel bad. Like, I don't even want to tell them, like, well, I ain't got that problem, you know. I don't want to do that. But I think they're starting to realize that I've got that without even saying it. Because I live in a Christian home. It's not a perfect home. Because I live there. Amen. My wife, I think I heard her from back in the nursery just now. I heard a well glory. I don't know. Uh, she, she'd agree right there. But it's, a, it's true peace. It's a, it's a call. It's a call to hope. 1 John 5, 12 says, He that hath the Son hath life. Amen. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You have no life. The longer I've been in this thing, the more I realize it is life and death. And in between is really small. The more I bury people, the more I realize this thing is life and death. And it's really this small. If you've got God, you've got life. Lastly, so point C. It is a call that pleases God. Romans chapter 10 verse 12 says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. Amen. In the Old Testament, the Jews were God's chosen people. And they're still God's chosen people. He's got specific promises yet to be fulfilled to the Jews. But we're the Greek. We're the Gentile. We're the non-Jews. And God has grafted us in. Amen. And so the God of the Jews is the God of us today. Amen. And those promises we can claim in His Word. So these are seven things on how to live a happy, successful life. Success can be measured in many ways. 